Chapter Five of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Five Cross Purposes. The only thing Kate could have noticed was a slight darkening of the room. Something momentarily obscured the sunlight streaming through the platform doorway. Someone sauntered into the room itself but Kate was signing the letter and gave the entrance no thought. Still, she could not shake off the consciousness of somebody walking up close to the desk where she stood and sitting down on one of the counter stools. She refused to look up, even though she felt that eyes were on her. A natural impulse of defiance at the uninvited scrutiny possessed her, and being resolved she would not admit she was conscious of it, she turned from the desk and, looking straight toward the glass door connecting with the dining room and behind the end of the counter, she walked briskly past the intruding presence. As she did so, Kate somehow felt with every step that she could not get out of the room unchallenged. But even then she was riding to a rude surprise, for she had reached the door without incident when she heard two words. "'Slow, Kate!' She had already laid her hand on the knob, and she turned it with indignation. The wretched door refused to open. It was Belle's afternoon off, and she had locked the door. Even then a collected girl would not have surrendered to the situation, but Kate never could be collected at just the right time. She was usually quite collected when it made no difference whether she was collected or not. All she now did was to look blankly around. A man sat at the counter, a man she had never seen before. He was deliberately lifting a broad horseman's hat from a rather round high forehead and disclosing a head of inoffensive-looking sandy hair, very much sun and wind-bleached. His smooth face, his ears and neck and open throat were colored by a strictly uniform pigment, tinctured by many mountain winds into a reddish-brown, and burnt by many mountain suns into a seemingly immutable bronze. The face was long with an ample nose, a peaceful-looking mouth, and unruffled gray eyes. The man was very like, and yet unlike, many of the mountain men she had seen. She remembered afterward that this was her first impression. At that moment she was not analyzing it. "'Where are you going?' he asked, as she stood looking at him. Her resentment at the rudeness rose. Could a prophetic spirit have warned Kate that this was to be only the first of more than one serious encounter, with the eyes steadily regarding her, her astonishment and indignation might have been restrained. As it was, forgetting her own position and descending to western brushness, she retorted icily, "'I can't see how that can possibly interest you.' If she hoped that a frigid tone and utterance might abash her intruding questioner, they failed. He spoke again with surprisingly even impertinence, quite as if she were as friendly as he. "'You're wrong,' he said. "'I'm mightily interested. I want some coffee, and you don't act to me as if you meant to come back.' It was undignified and improper for her to bandy words with a heckler, but Kate had already breathed too much of the freedom of the mountains to resist a second retort. 
and said, almost without thinking, and certainly in a very positive manner, I'm not coming back. Give me a cup of coffee before you go. There is no service here this afternoon. Beg your pardon. There will be one service here this afternoon. You will serve me. His emphasis was slight but unmistakable. She was so fussed she turned to the door and grabbed the knob the second time. Her persecutor raised his left hand firmly. You can't get out there, he said. Why can't I? demanded Kate indignantly. Because you can't open the door. She stood mute at his assurance. Come, he continued. Give me some coffee, like a good girl. What should she do? She did not speak the question, but weighed it pretty rapidly in her mind. What manner of man had she to deal with? If not actually threatening, he was extremely domineering. While she hesitated, he regarded her calmly. But there was one way to do as he demanded and to punish him as well. Of the two coffee urns kept filled in readiness with a rush and serving a trainload of passengers, only one was now heated. Kate stepped to the urns, murmuring as if to herself, I know nothing about these. I don't either, he said. From the nearer urn, Kate drew a cup of coffee. It was very cold, but she pushed it with a jug of cream and a bowl of sugar toward him. A teaspoon, please. Kate's excitement had already heightened her color. She looked very much alive as she added, impatiently, a spoon to the equipment, expecting then to be able to get out of the room. It seemed as if this ought to be easy. It was not. Her tormentor professed to have no dinner and wanted a sandwich. The sandwiches were rebelliously hunted up. A plateful was supplied. If he was surprised at the prodigality, he made no comment. But at intervals, some tantalizing word from him entangled her in another exchange. And at each encounter of wits, just enough fear tempered her resentment to make her irresolute. She was malicious enough to observe in silence the unobtrusive pantomime by which the enemy tried to coax a semblance of warmth into his cold coffee. He had begun by pouring cream into it, but the cream refused to assimilate and only made the mixture look less inviting. I'm glad I met you today, he said while she was getting her breath. Looks lonesome around here. Not much doing at the mines, is there? Not a great deal, she answered coldly. How about Barb Doubleday? Is he up at the mines or here? He was indifferently lifting matches from the stand at his hand, striking them and burning them patiently against the side of his cup of coffee. Like a flash came to Kate with his question, the thought that this disagreeable person must be the court officer. He looked up at her now as if waiting for an answer. Why do you ask, she countered. Mostly because I'd like to hear you say something. Anything, I suppose, she suggested ironically. That's not far from it, was the reply. Also, I want to see Barb. What about, she asked, borrowing his own assurance. It was time, she thought, for defensive strategy. Just a little business matter. 
it was long very long afterward that kate learned and fully realized the significance of the indifferently spoken words when she did she wondered that a man's manner could so completely mask all that lay behind them he isn't hiring any men she ventured adapting a set phrase she had often heard bell use in spite of my looks he returned i'm not hunting a job for a wonder but now that kate wanted to hear more he took his turn at reticence where are you from she asked as unconcernedly as she could medicine ben from the marshal's office it was foolish of her to ask she fairly blurted out the words he looked at her for the first time keenly and just the change in his expression undefinable but unmistakable almost frightened her to death i was in the marshal's office yesterday he answered picking up a sandwich evasively kate was no longer doubtful this was the man to serve the dreaded summons an instant of panic seized her fortunately her persecutor was regarding his stubborn coffee as he stirred it her heart which had stopped started with a thump her thoughts cleared instinct self-preservation asserted itself she thought hard and fast the first step was to temporize he looked up in time to see the blood sweeping back into her cheeks and almost spoil the first really good breath she was drawing in his lean bronzed hands he clasped his cup of coffee as if trying to put a degree of heat into it what would be the extra charge for a shot of that hot tank he asked directing his glance first at the other tank then at kate's burning face with all his confidence he must have been surprised at the revulsion of manner that greeted him kate recovered her poise her coldness vanished a smile broke through her reserve and her confused regret was promptly expressed did i give you coffee out of the coal tank how stupid and never in my life said her queer customer as if continuing her words did i do anything mean to you oh yes you did objected kate coupling nervous haste with a declaration as she tried to take the cold cup from between his hands the ease with which she assumed the role of a lunch-counter waitress astonished her what did i do he drawled resisting her attempt to make amends you said i couldn't go out that door refusing to be denied the cup i was hoping if you stayed a few minutes you wouldn't want to a moment earlier she would have been indignant now she reconciled herself to necessity she was indeed wildly hoping she might be able to coax him not to serve any paper and she had to repress an absurd laugh at the thought as she set a fresh and steaming cup before him while he made ready to drink it she leaned with assured indifference against the buffet shelf behind her she spread her left arm and hand innocently along its edge as she had seen waitresses do and with her right hand toyed with the loose collar of her crepe blouse chatting the while like a perfectly good waitress with her suspect the funny part seemed to her that he took it all with entire seriousness hardly laughing 
only a suspicion of a smile playing at times around his eyes relieved the somberness of his lean face his parted lips showed regular teeth when he spoke and gave not an unpleasant expression to his mouth his eyes were as inoffensive as a mountain lake but there remained something stubborn in his dry manner and at times her heart misgave her as to the hope of dissuading him from his purpose trying to form some idea of how to act she studied him with anxiety all she could actually reach as a conclusion was that he might be troublesome to dissuade yet with every moment she was the more determined to keep him from carrying out his mission and the more resolved to make him pay for his western manners all this was running through her head while the coffee was being sipped unhappily her father was where she could not possibly reach him with a warning until bell should reappear on the scene she tendered her now tractable guest with a second cup of coffee it was accepted he talked on asking many questions which were answered more or less to his satisfaction not that his inquiries were impertinent they were chiefly silly kate thought he seemed most intent on establishing a friendly footing with a lunch-counter attendant when his third cup had been drunk and payment tendered for it and for five or six sandwiches kate decided her time to escape had arrived she refused to accept his money no she persisted i will not take a thing for your lunch positively not oh you may leave your dollar on the counter if you like it will never go into the register why not i've told you say it again you were very patient over my blunder in giving you cold coffee to tell you the truth he remarked with candor it didn't look to me altogether like a blunder oh it was she insisted shamelessly but she did not feel at all sure he believed her and i won't take your money i want you her eyes fell the least bit with her repentant words to have a better impression of this counter than cold coffee would give you we're trying so hard to build up a business golly observed her calm guess i thought a few minutes ago you were trying to wreck one you medicine bin men always make fun of this valley kate complained i don't really belong in medicine bin was his return where do you belong in the falling wall oh that awful place why knock the falling wall i never heard any good of it no matter anyway you may put up your money and sometime when i'm up in your country she added jestingly you can give me a cup of cold coffee we'll say nothing more about the coffee he declared in blunt fashion just you come he yielded so honestly to deceit that kate was half ashamed at imposing on him tell me he went on spinning his silver dollar in leisurely fashion on the smooth counter how am i going to get up to the mines today after i look around here for barb where can i get a horse kate reflected a moment i can get you some kind of a horse she said slowly but it will take you forever to get there on horseback the trail runs around the river the train will get you there first it goes up at four o'clock she knew she said it all blandly 
though conscious of her duplicity. It was not exactly falsehood that she spoke, but it was meant to mislead. The man was regarding her steadily with eyes that seemed to Kate not in the least double-dealing. "'What am I going to do to four o'clock?' he asked, making without discussion her subtle suggestion his own. She lifted her eyebrows disclaimingly, even shrugged her shoulders. "'What are you going to do?' he persisted. She was ready. She looked longingly out of the window. The sun blazed over the desert in a riot of gold. "'It's my day off,' she observed, adding just a suspicion of discontent and uncertainty to her words. She fingered her tie, too, then dropped her eyes and added, "'I thought I might take a ride.' He started. "'Couldn't get two horses, could you?' Two? echoed Kate, looking surprised. He rose. "'I'll turn up, too, if I have to steal them. he declared, reaching for his hat. "'That would be too much trouble for one little ride,' Kate said ironically. "'I'll see what I can do first. "'But,' she added, basely, "'if you want to be sure of catching the train, "'I should advise you to stay right here. "'It backs down and doesn't stay but a minute, "'just long enough to hook on to the empties.' "'Her warning had no effect.' It was not meant to have any. She knew that if he got to the mines and learned that her father was at the junction, he would return in no time to serve him. He was decently restrained now, but he swallowed her bait hook and all. Where do you think you can find horses? he asked. Where I work? Where do you work? Sometimes here and sometimes up at Mr. Doubleday's cottage. The barn boy gets up a horse for me any time. He raised an unexpected difficulty. I wouldn't feel just right today riding a horse of Barb Doubleday's, he said doubtfully. The words only confirmed her suspicions. Her fears rose, but her wits did not desert her. Ride mine, she suggested. I've got my own horse, of course. He drew a breath. All I can say is, if you ever come over my way, I'll show you as good a time as I know how to. She put up her hand. Wait till you see how you like my good time. He was quick to come back. I'll agree right now to like anything you offer, and I don't care a hang what it is, either. Looking straight at him, she asked a question. Its emphasis lay in her quiet tone. Will you stand to that? He looked at her until she felt his eyes were going right through her. "'I've got enemies,' he said slowly, and there was now more than a touch of hardness in his voice. "'Most men have, but the worst of them never claimed my word isn't good.' "'Then,' exclaimed Kate, hastening to escape the serious tone, "'you tin counter while I go and see about the horses.' No, he objected. That's a man's job. You tell me where to go, and I'll get the horses. Kate was most firm. If you're going to ride with me, she said, you must do my way. Take a woman's job for a few minutes and see how you like it. He regarded her with the simplicity of a child, but replied like a case-hardened cowboy. 
I don't like a woman's job, of course, but I'm ready to do any blamed thing you say. Do you suppose, Kate demanded with an air, they would turn two horses over to you up at Doubleday's? She had put her foot in it. I tell you, he protested, I don't want to ride a horse of Doubleday's. I'm up here to talk to Barb Doubleday, and nobody can say just how it's coming out. At the ranch, they swore he was at Sleepy Cat. I rode down there, and they told me he was at the junction, so I took the train over here. Now you tell me he's at the mines. That's where I'll say what I've got to say. But I don't want to take any advantage, and I don't want to impose on his property rights so much as a single hair. That's exactly what's between us. Kate, established in treacherous ambush, felt qualms at his stern, clear code. She tried to shut him off, but he was wrought up. Barb swore to me once he had nothing to do with it. He persisted obstinately. All I can say is, if a man fools me once, it's his fault. If he fools me twice, it's mine. What about a woman? asked Kate, trying hard to say one thing and think another. He opened his eyes. I never thought much about that. A man can't fight a woman, he returned reflectively. And I've yet to see one I could fool. What should you do? she asked, turning her back while she straightened her hat in the buffet mirror. If you ever met one that fooled you, no woman would ever take the trouble. She laughed a little. You never can tell. If a woman ever fooled me, she'd have to fool herself first, so she'd be the loser. What a philosopher! First and last, I've been called a good many names, some full hard, but never a philosopher before. Kate started for the front door. Hold on a minute, he objected. What's to do here while you're gone? Serve coffee and sandwiches if anybody comes in. This time of day, there's never anybody comes in. He turned on his stool. How soon will you be back? In a few minutes. Get a good horse for yourself. Kate gave him a parting shot. Of course, you think I can't ride. It did not take her long to get up the hill. Breathless, she encountered old Henry in the garden, asked him for the ponies, and almost ran into the house. Her father was asleep. There was no reason to stir him over a situation that she was resolved to handle, and felt she could handle. She got into her riding clothes in a trice, all the time wondering whether she could hold her wild man in leash long enough to defeat him. Had he been more like anybody she had ever met and known, the problem would have been less confusing. But she determined to shut her eyes and win the fight if she could, and to this end draft every resource. So she thought, at least, as she caught up her little revolver and, dropping it into the scabbard she had belted about her waist, set forth. She rode back one of her own ponies and led the other. Her enemy had good ears, for when she was halfway to the eating-house, he walked out on the platform and silently surveyed her approach. Kate watched him narrowly and drew up before him to estimate the effect. 
She was disappointed, she had to confess, at his cool indifference, for she thought her riding rig unusually pretty. It had seemingly failed to impress her queer westerner. His eyes were all for the horses. Clean ponies, he observed, taking the bridle rein from her hand as he looked the two over. I forgot to ask what kind of saddle you like, she observed indifferently. He was scanning the horses, and his eyes not being on her, she got her first real good look at her antagonist. Whether he was to be her victim, she was in somewhat anxious doubt. End of chapter 5